uh, and which was a really cool thing, and uh, just uh, excited about what God's doing. And you know, all of that does relate to the subject that we have uh, of the local church. Uh, you know, I think we live in a time where uh, we have devalued uh, that. Uh, as a whole, it's not popular to be local church. Uh, focus. It's not popular to, to value the local church. There's so many people today uh, who, who talk about the, their, their discomfort with it, their, their dislike for it, their disdain for it. And uh, so this, this conference, I think, uh, while it may not seem like it's uh, at the level of some of the other ones that we've done, uh, I think it's critically important today that we understand who we are as the local church, the, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next couple of days, and, and I'm excited to be here. I, I'm glad to be here. Uh, I appreciate so much you guys uh, hosting this conference. Those of you who are part of First Baptist, uh, I know that uh, this takes a lot. It takes a lot of money. Uh, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort, and uh, we're grateful, uh, those of us who get to come here and uh, benefit from your sacrifice. Uh, we, we appreciate you, and we thank you for hosting this every year, and, and the value that it is uh, to me personally, but the value that it is to, to the body that I pastor. Uh, so often, they're, they're, of course, a lot of them are here, uh, but there's a lot of them who are watching today uh, by streaming, and they're watching the evening services, and uh, it really does impact their lives, and it is an incredible value for us. And so thank you, uh, First Baptist. Thank you for your sacrifice and all of your effort. Uh, we're glad to be here. We are talking about uh, the church, and, and we're going to talk uh, mostly about the local church, uh, although uh, we, we recognize that it's not an either-or proposition. Uh, a lot of times when people talk about the church, they, they talk about the universal church, not necessarily a term that, that's found in the scriptures, but just to define the, the body of believers from uh, the resurrection to the rapture. Uh, and, and, and certainly that's a valid thing, uh, but we're going to talk mostly, as the Bible does, I think Jeff mentioned this yesterday, uh, about 20% of the time when the Bible speaks of the church, it's talking about that universal church, uh, but about 80% of the time it's talking about a local body of believers. And so uh, we're not either or, we're both and, uh, but we're uh, going to talk primarily about the local church. And so in your notes this morning, if you want to look at those, there's a there's a definition. We just wanted to, to, to start from there uh, and defining what is a church, what are we talking about when we, when we say church. And this is just a, a, a general description. It's a, a church is a group of believers who gather together to worship the Father, study the Scriptures, pray and fellowship together. Uh, from time to time they observe the ordinances and are sent out to make disciples under the, all under the authority of the head of the church, Jesus Christ, and under the authority of biblically qualified leaders. And that's very simplistic, right? There's nothing real complex there. Uh, that's pretty easy to understand. Uh, but yet, uh, oftentimes, we see that not happening. That's not, that we're, we're calling things church that aren't that. Uh, or we're, we're doing things to substitute the church that, that don't meet that description. Uh, particularly the latter part of it, biblically qualified leaders. Uh, it's, it's critical that we have people in the church that are leading. And so, uh, we're, that's the definition that we're going to work from. Uh, we're going to go through different things to, to describe what the church is. Uh, as I said a moment ago, uh, not universal or local, but both and. Uh, we'll see as we go through the book of Ephesians 
that, that the Bible references the whole family of God in heaven and in earth. Uh, so that's a, a reality, but, but there's also the reality of a local household. Uh, and that First Baptist Church in New Philadelphia, Ohio, is the family of God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and, and it's all in that body. Uh, that's not to say that others aren't, but, but this local New Testament church is the body of Christ, and we're to function as such. And, and as we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, certainly we're, we're in our own lives being conformed to the Word of God, but, but ultimately we're going to see the, the, the fulfillment of that in, in the whole church, uh, the church as a whole. You're not going to make that on your own. You're not going to be the, the, the totality of that body by yourself. Uh, it, it has to happen in the context of a local church. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see that. Uh, somebody said, if, you, you know, if you're going to speak somewhere and you want to be liked, quote the pastor. So you have a quote from the pastor in your notes. Uh, right? Uh, that is a good quote there uh, from the, one of the LFF blogs. Uh, Jeff talking about the local church and, and the uniqueness uh, of the church. And again, I think that's something that we must emphasize, uh, how unique we are. Uh, just notice there that he, it's Christ, it's the church that Christ died for. It's the church that he gets glory through. Uh, the, the, the church is, is the means by which God will manifest his glory and his wisdom to the angels. Uh, we are unique. Uh, there's an incredible uniqueness to the body of Christ, and, and we should appreciate that. Uh, the way that James and I decided to present the morning sessions is to talk about the metaphors in the scriptures. Uh, there's six that we're going to present. I'm sure uh, there could be more. Uh, there could be others that, that we could come up with, but we think we've, we've chosen the six most prominent. Uh, and, and six that if we would grasp, uh, we would understand who we are to be uh, and, and what we're to be doing. And, and then... There's some things that we ought to be avoiding. Uh, there's some things that we shouldn't be doing uh, that we see a lot of. And so I'm going to just real quickly, uh, I think they're in your notes, just introduce those six metaphors to you. Uh, I, I've heard in my 30 or so years of ministry, uh, the church described as a lot of things, uh, and a lot of things that, that the Bible doesn't say that it is. Uh, but these are six things that the Bible says the church is. Uh, and they, they are metaphors, not just similes. Uh, it's not like this, but they are this. That's, that's what the Bible says. Uh, they are these things, and, and as we understand who we are, uh, then we can know what we're to do. Uh, it is about identity and knowing what our identity is. And so uh, hopefully over the next uh, three days we'll, we'll see that and understand that. So let me just hit them real quick. Uh, the first one, and we'll talk about it in just a minute, is that we're the bride of Christ. And uh, I can't imagine... Uh, any one metaphor uh, that speaks more about how special the church is. Uh, amen? All the men whose wives are near you said amen really loudly, right? right. Being the bride is a, is a very unique and precious position, right? How awesome is that, that we're the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and how uh, special he considers us to be, how unique we are in that relationship with him, and, and we'll talk about in just a minute uh, some of those things, and then we're going to talk about in the second session this morning that we're the body of Christ, and Pastor Mark spoke to that last night, and, and, and as, we, as we picked out each one of these, or as we looked at each one of these metaphors, we, we saw different aspects of it, like the bride, we're, we're going to talk about worship, that we're to worship him, and uh, uh, so we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, and 
The body of Christ we talked about uh, is membership, and we're, we're to be unified together. We're to be joined together in unity. Uh, God is going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish in this world through his body. Uh, it just, and I know this is, this is the, the kinder, simpler conference, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's easy. There's, there's nothing complex about that, right? I mean, uh, hey, let's all let's go, go out and, and do something this afternoon, but uh, hey, the only stipulation is you can't use your body. That's just crazy. How would we ever go do anything and not, not use our body? Well, it's, it's equally crazy to think that Christ is going to do something in the world today and not use his body. Uh, and, and that's how critical it is that we unite together to accomplish that. And if we'll realize who we are, and, and I, I love what Pastor Mark said last night, uh, for the body to be the body, it takes everybody, <laughs> right? It takes every one of us. It takes everybody to do that. We all have to unite together to accomplish that. And so uh, we're the body of Christ. Tomorrow we'll talk about we're the family of God, and, and that deals with relationship. Uh, we have relationships with, uh, a relationship with God. Again, you talk about how unique we are uh, as the church. I, I'm a child of God. That, that ought to strike us as something that's very unique and special, right? Uh, we're, we're a child. It, it did John, right? He said, wow. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What an incredible relationship we have with God. We're his children, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're the family of God. Uh, and, and so we have relationships, and uh, we ought to be encouraging one another and, and edifying one another. The, the flock of God, uh, that one's maybe not as flattering, right? We're a bunch of sheep. Uh, you know, you never, never, never seen a sports team that chose a sheep for their mascot, right? Uh, but when you understand uh, the uniqueness of, of being the flock of God and, and how it speaks of our dependency upon Him, that we are wholly dependent upon the shepherd uh, and, and that He provides for us, uh, that, that's an incredible relationship as well. Uh, and we'll talk about the, the necessity of, of leadership. Uh, as sheep, we need leaders. Uh, we need, obviously, the chief shepherd, but we need the under-shepherds as well. And, and they need to be biblically qualified. Uh, we need the right kind of leadership. Uh, it can't just be someone who, on a whim, uh, chose that uh, they went out online and, and, and got an ordination certificate, and now they're a leader. It can't be someone who just went out and, and decided, you know what, I think I'm a church planter. That's what I want to be when I grow up, so I'm just going to go do that. Uh, that doesn't happen that way. Uh, I, I appreciate, again, what we heard last night. The church is an organism, not an organization. Organizations can go out and start things, but, but organisms must be birthed. They must be birthed from something that's alive, uh, like a church, <laughs> right? Like begets like. Churches birth churches. Uh, where was I at? Uh, we're the building of God. We'll talk about that, and, and, and the, the key there is discipleship. Uh, we're a holy temple, uh, right, growing in, uh, in the Lord. And uh, so we'll talk about the, the necessity of edifying. And then uh, the last one that we'll talk about on Wednesday is uh, we're the vineyard of God. And, and that relates to stewardship. We have been entrusted with these incredible resources uh, of God. Uh, we have been made stewards of the gospel of God, of the gifts of God. Uh, we have these supernatural enablements. Uh, that God has given to us, and, and we're stewards of that, and, and we have a responsibility as stewards to be found faithful. Uh, as I said a moment ago, those, those are the six we chose. You, you could probably come up with some others uh, that, that would be uh, 
valid and, and biblical. Uh, but those are the six that, that we're going to cover over these days, and uh, I hope that it's helpful to you. We're going to follow a, a common outline, uh, and it's, again, very, very simplistic because, uh, I, I, speaking for myself, I'm, I'm very simplistic. Uh, and so we're just going to follow a very simple outline uh, and, and talk about that God has called us to be these things and, and how that relates uh, understanding our identity, uh, I think it's important that we first recognize uh, who we are, who we've been called to be, uh, and then we can talk about what we are to do. In light of who we are, what do we do? Uh, what is it that we've been called to do? Uh, and then uh, we'll talk about things that we ought to inv- avoid. So uh, in light of who we are, there are some things uh, that we ought to avoid, that we ought not uh, be part of, uh, and I think we'll find that there's a, a lot of those things going on today. So uh, that's uh, just a, uh, an introduction uh, to the things that we're going to talk about over the next couple of days, and then we're going to get uh, right now right into talking about that we are the bride of Christ. Before we do that, uh, let me just uh, get us started this morning with a word of prayer. How about that? Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're grateful uh, today to be gathered together uh, as believers in your son, Jesus Christ, and uh, we're thankful for uh, this unique relationship that we have with you. Uh, We thank you that you've uh, allowed us through your son uh, to be reconciled to yourself, uh, that our sins have been forgiven, and that we have been accepted by you. Uh, Father, we're grateful for all the the uniqueness of, of this relationship, and and today, as we, as we talk about these things, we ask that you would uh, open the eyes of our understanding. Uh, Father, may we recognize uh, what an awesome relationship we have with you. May we recognize who you've, you've called us to be. And may we uh, do those things that you've called us to do and, and avoid the things that you, you would instruct us to avoid. May we uh, live in a way that would be honoring to you and, and pleasing to you and uh, or a way that uh, would bring multitudes around your throne one day to to worship and glorify you Uh, again thank you for this time Uh, thank you for uh, this place we pray you'd you'd bless us now in christ jesus name amen so if you want to open your bibles to ephesians chapter 5 we're going to talk first about uh, we're the bride of christ Uh, so uh, from the jump uh, recognizing that uh, we have this incredibly unique relationship with christ ephesians chapter 5 uh, is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's writing about relationships, and uh, he's talked about having a meaningful relationship with God, and, and now he's talking about having a meaningful relationship uh, in a marriage. And as he picks it up, verse, uh, let's just pick it up verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Verse 32 says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so he's, he's laying out these uh, details about a marriage relationship, uh, but he comes to the end and he says, but but realize that, that that marriage relationship is really nothing more than a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church, that Christ is the bridegroom and, and we, the church, are the bride of Christ. Uh, and, and so we have this 
unique, exclusive relationship uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And uh, such a, a, an awesome relationship that he's offered to us. Uh, if you are married, uh, you know how, how unique that is. And a lot of times, you know, we talk about it, People will say, well, you don't need membership. You don't need to be a part of a church. It doesn't matter. We're very consumer-driven, you know. Well, I kind of like this part of that church. I really enjoy the Sunday morning service. Man, the worship over there is awesome. But, you know, on Sunday nights, they have this great children's ministry over at that church over there. And so we'll go over there for that one. And then, uh, you know, the midweek thing, uh, there's this other thing going over there, and we like that. You know, that doesn't work in your marriage, it doesn't work in the, the picture, and trust me tonight, that doesn't work in the real relationship, right? In fact, in the, in the picture, we would call that adultery. Well, in the real relationship, it's also adultery, right? Don't be stepping out on your one husband, and you know, we're the bride of Christ, and we have this unique relationship, and you know, we we, okay, no, 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 I'm still the bride of Christ. I'm still, you know, as an individual. No, no, no. Corporately, we're the bride of Christ. And it doesn't work, this consumer mentality, with, with being the bride. Uh, that's adultery. And, and you might say, well, that's, that's way too strong. My wife doesn't think so. Uh, she doesn't think so. She doesn't think so in this picture that, that that's a, you know, the picture of the, that's okay. So it's certainly not okay in the real relationship. So Paul, Paul says, and this is just real quick, I don't want to miss it and, and assume anything. Uh, Paul says, I, this is a great mystery, and just so that we know uh, that in New Testament terms, uh, a mystery is not something that cannot be known, but a, a mystery is something that was previously unknown, but is now revealed, right? Ephesians chapter 3, if you just went back a couple of chapters from where we are in chapter 5, uh, Paul says that, verse uh, chapter 3 says, for this cause... I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so a mystery is something that, that previously we didn't know, but now we know. And we, how do we know it? Uh, we know it by revelation. God has revealed it through his Spirit. So just making sure we understand what a mystery is. And when you go through the Old Testament, obviously there's lots of examples of that you can you can see over and over again that the mystery that that this gentile bride would be married to the lord jesus christ uh is is repeated time and time again it was right there but they didn't see it uh, they didn't understand it it wasn't revealed in fact adam being one of the the greatest types uh, of christ in fact christ is called in the new testament first corinthians chapter 15 verse 45 uh, Christ is called the, the second Adam. And when you think about that, uh, think about going back into Genesis chapter 2, and, and there's Adam, and, and God is going to provide a bride uh, for Adam. And so he, he puts him to sleep. You've you got to believe that God, the, the omniscient God who knows all things, uh, he, he sees the future, he knows the end from the beginning, as he puts Adam to sleep and he takes that rib that he's going to make a bride, he has to know that one day that's what's going to happen to his son, Jesus Christ, that he's going to die so that he can have a bride. 
Uh, he's going to die for us. When he, when he forms Eve, you know, he's, he's looked through all of creation, and there's no help that's found that's appropriate uh, for, for Adam. There's no help meet for him, no appropriate help found for him in all of creation. God says it's not good for him to be alone. He can't carry out the mission that I have for him on his own. Uh, he, he's going to need a help. He, he takes that rib and he makes him a bride. And, and, and again, I think he's looking into the future and he's seeing us, the bride of Christ, that, that he will need one day to carry out the mission by his own choice. He's chosen that, that we would be that appropriate help for him to carry out the commission, that we're going to do that. He, he foreknew, he, he saw that, that Eve would sin uh, and that Adam would need to sacrifice himself for his bride. Uh, and again, foreknowing that, he's, he's seeing that Christ would take the punishment for our sin, uh, that he would die in our place. Uh, he, he called them both Adam, recognizing that, that one day in the future we would be uh, called the same name, called by the same name, that we would have that identity, the same identity in Christ. And so we are the bride of Christ, and, and as the, the bride of Christ, it's a, a, mixture, a mystery. And, and in the, the notes that you have this morning, we won't take time to, to go through it. I think there's several different pictures or types of Christ from the Old Testament. They're listed in your notes. Uh, they won't be on the screen, but, but several different types of Christ throughout the Old Testament who received a Gentile bride. Uh, and so again, God is communicating this truth over and over and over again. Uh, they're not getting it in the Old Testament, but you and I today, with the advantage of the revelation, the Spirit of God living within us, and, and the Word of God that we hold in our hands, uh, we, we can see that. We can see this mystery revealed. And so the cool thing about the, the, the relationship that we have is that Christ is in us. Ephesians Chapter 1, the whole theme of the book of Ephesians, over and over again, you hear that, that phrase that we are in Christ. Ephesians 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. We, we have entered into him. Uh, we have that unique relationship with him. And Colossians comes back, that parallel text, and says that Christ is in us. Uh, and, and so we are in him and he is in us uh, and, and as Ephesians, we'll see in just a moment, tells us that we've become one with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what an awesome relationship that is. And nothing can separate us from that. Uh, it's a very unique, it's a very exclusive relationship. And we better be careful uh, about allowing things to come in uh, that, are, that, that separate us from that. Uh, things that, that cause us to adulterate that. We, we, we add in things that are impure. Uh, things that aren't according to the scriptures, things that remove us from that relationship, things that add to that relationship. It's an exclusive relationship that we have. And so as we, as we talked about these different metaphors and, and what they point to, obviously we're, we're called to be the bride of Christ. I think that's obvious. But the, the word that we use here is we're called to worship him. And uh, you know, that, you, you might, you might, that might catch you off guard a little bit. I, I think it'll, as we explain it, it'll, it'll make more sense. Uh, but we... We are the, the worshipers of Christ, and, and as the bride of Christ, uh, we're to worship him. Uh, a lot of times, especially in 21st century Christianity, uh, we've relegated that word to, you know, it's, it's the 30-minute it's the music set uh, before the guy gets up and, and speaks, right? 
you know, and we'll even say that, we'll call it that. Well, the, this is the worship and this is the preaching. Uh, but, but I think we all know, but again, I don't want to leave anything unsaid, uh, that that's not worship. I mean, it is, it's an aspect of worship. It's praise, it's exalting, uh, and, and, and that's awesome, and we ought to do that, but that's not the totality of what worship is. That's really uh, just a, a, a verbal expression uh, of worship to God, and, and again, I'm not discounting that. We ought to do that, but, but true worship goes so far beyond that, right? Uh, go back to the first mention of worship, uh, Genesis chapter 22, and Abraham is going to offer Isaac, and he said, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Uh, we're going to go up to this mountain, and we're going to worship, and Abraham certainly knew what he was going to do. Uh, he was going to offer to God that which is most precious to him. Uh, this son, the son of promise, this son that he had longed for, this son that he had waited for, uh, this son that, that he knew that God was going to fulfill his promises to him through, uh, he's, he's going to take him up on the mountain and he's going to offer him back to God. He's going to sacrifice him to God. That's what real worship is. Uh, it's offering that which is most precious to us to God. Uh, and so when we talk about being worshipers we, as the bride of Christ, what we're talking about is offering ourselves, truthfully that's what's most precious to us, offering ourselves back to God, uh, giving ourselves wholly to Him. And, and you know, uh, again, ladies, you might be a little offended, my wife's probably watching, uh, and she may be too, uh, that, we, you know, well, wait a minute, now we're going to tie that together and say that, that the wives ought to worship their husbands? Uh, well, yes. Uh, in, in the way that I'm talking about, I, you know, a lot of times we teach the, like I said, we, we teach the type, we teach the picture often. You know, I've done marriage counseling, and uh, a lot of times in, in teaching people, you know, that, that for, a, what, is, what is marriage? What is it really, what does a biblical marriage look like? Well, a biblical marriage is when, when a man makes a decision to sacrifice himself for a lady. You know, he, he says, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm willing to die for you. And, and I think it goes so far beyond I'm willing to take a bullet for you. you know? If somebody comes in the house you know, at night, I'll, I'll get up and I'll be the guy who will confront them. I, uh, okay, yeah, you ought to do that. But, but how about will you give up your Thursday afternoon golf game for her? Uh, you know, will you turn off the sports program and listen to her talk to you? <laughs> That might be a little tougher part of the sacrifice, right? Uh, but I'm going to sacrifice myself for my bride. I'm, I'm going to give my life. I'm willing to die for her. I'm willing to die to myself for her. But, but in turn, I, and again, just teaching the, the type, I, I would teach young ladies that, that what you're doing, when you go to that altar and you say, I do, guys, what you're saying is, I'll die for her. Ladies, what you're saying is, I'll live for you. I'll find my life in you. I'll be willing to, to sacrifice myself. I'll be a living sacrifice for you. And I think, I think that's true. We don't, we don't like that in our culture, right? But culture's pretty jacked up. You know, I don't think you want to be normal these days. That's normal's, normal's jacked up. Don't be normal. Be biblical. And biblical marriage is where each sacrifice themselves for the other so that two can really become one. That's the only way two can really become one. And, and that works 
it works in the picture, and, and we get it in the picture. Okay, well, let's get it in the reality. Let's get the real relationship. Let's understand the real relationship like that. And certainly Jesus Christ has done his part. <laughs> we would all agree he did his part. He died for us. He came, Philippians chapter 2. He, he made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a servant. He, he came in the fashion of a man. He was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So he did his part. Now, now the question is, are, are we going to live for him? Paul, when he's laid all of that out and made a very clear dissertation of, of New Testament doctrine, then he comes to chapter 12 and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a, a living sacrifice. Wholly acceptable unto God. And, and so what, what I would say is when we talk about the bride of Christ and, and, and the aspect of that is worship, we're to, to worship him. What are we to be? We're to be worshipers of him. Uh, I, what I'm saying is we're, we're to give ourselves to him. We're to, to sacrifice ourselves to him. We're to be a living sacrifice. That's what worship is. Um, we're to, to find, Colossians 3 talks about our life being hid in Christ. That, that we find life in the person of Jesus Christ, that we have a new identity, all right? I, I, I got a new name. <laughs> I, I'm now a Christian, right? Uh, I, I have a, a, a new identity. I, I'm hid with God in Christ, uh, and I'm no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I, I belong to Him. And so what that means, and, and we're going to cross over and talk about what we're to do, it, what that means is I submit to him. And so as the bride of Christ, I, I live a life of submission. Just like, right, listen, just like we saw in Ephesians chapter 5 that wives submit themselves unto their own husbands. Uh, that's what it means. And, and as we do that, we, we become one with him. Uh, that's what Ephesians 5.30 says. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We're, we're the body of Christ, but we're, we're also the, the bride of Christ, and we're one with him. We have this unique relationship with him. And so understanding who we are leads to doing what we are called to do. Uh, what, what do we do as, as worshipers? Well, we submit to him. Ephesians 5, again, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Uh, again, notice the wife, it's a picture uh, of the reality for the husband is the head of the wife even as christ is the head of the church and is the savior of the body uh, therefore as the church is subject unto christ so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything and so we're to be subject unto christ submissive to christ in everything how do i how do i exalt him and and that's what we're talking about what we're to do i'm, I'm a worshiper and, and so as a worshiper my what i'm to be about what i'm to be doing is exalting the lord jesus christ I'm to magnify him with my life. And how do I do that? Well, I magnify him by submitting to him, uh, giving him that position of lordship in my life, uh, letting him lead my life, letting him guide me, letting him provide for me, trusting in him, relying upon him, uh, living a life of submission to him that he has in my life the preeminence. I know sometimes... And, and marriage is attacked, I'm sure, because it, it, it pictures this real relationship. 
uh, and, and we've got marriage really messed up in, in most cases. It's, it's the reason that when I say things like, you know, we're, we're worshipers and, and a wife should submit to her husband and that her life should be hid in him. Uh, we struggle with that. Uh, I know I just, I'll, when I get back to, uh, to Decatur on Thursday, I'll go straight to a, a, a wedding rehearsal and then I'll perform a wedding on Friday night. A very young couple. Uh, and as we went through some of these things together and talking about what real marriage was, they were a little wide-eyed, you know, about, when I, I don't, I've never heard these things before. Uh, shamefully, a couple that's grown up in church uh, and, and still, you know, hasn't really heard that kind of thing before, certainly not to the volume that they've heard it, the culture's ideal of what marriage is, right? And the culture's ideal is, you know, uh, I, I don't want to go into things that I don't need to go in here to here today, uh, but the culture's ideal is, is jacked up. Uh, that's not God's ideal of marriage. God's ideal of marriage is two becoming one through each sacrificing themselves to the other and, and a wife submitting to her husband and, and relying upon him. And God created us like that, right? I, I really believe that, that in the heart of every man is a desire for a woman uh, who would be willing to live for him. In the heart of every woman is a desire for a man who would be willing to die for her. And God made that innate to us. That's what we want. And so my wife... I want my wife to trust in me. I want my wife to count on me. I want my wife to allow me to provide for her. And when I feel like she, she doesn't think that my provision is adequate, then I'm dishonored as a husband. That's dishonoring to me. Any of the rest of you guys feel like that? You know, that's what we that's who God made us to be in our homes and and so what I want us to see is I'm trying to reverse the thing where a lot of times we take the reality and look to the picture well let's let's take the picture and look back at the reality and so Christ is the bridegroom and and I'm the bride and he's looking for me to submit to him such that that I allow him to lead me and to guide me and and to be my provision I'm not stepping outside of that relationship and, and looking to other things he, my life is hid with him. I'm trusting in him. I'm, I'm leaning on him. He's my one husband. I'm going to trust in him. He's the authority in my life. And I'm going to submit to him. And I understand we have pastors in our churches, but, but just as uh, we heard yesterday, really this is the authority, right? Uh, the Bible is the, the authority. The Lord Jesus Christ is the authority, and we submit to to that authority and it's critical that we do that as the bride of christ that's how we exalt him uh, we exalt him by submitting to him not only do we exalt him by submitting to him we exalt him by by living lives that are pure uh, purifying our lives and if you look back at ephesians chapter 5 husbands love your wives even as christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it by the wash with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. We, we exalt the Lord by purifying our lives. Now, obviously, he's doing that with the washing of the water of the word, but you know, we have to participate in that. We have to be willing participants. Uh, that's not going to be something that, that he's going to do without 
our participation. Uh, if we're not willing to come to the Word and allow the Word to, to wash us and to cleanse us, uh, then, then that's not going to happen. And so our role as the bride of Christ, uh, the, the way that we exalt Him is by submitting to Him and, and by living lives of purity, allowing Him to, to purify us. Paul, when he takes this role of, of a father uh, and, and he says to the church at Corinth, I've espoused you and notice he says I've espoused you to one husband uh, it's an exclusive relationship and that his goal is to present them as chaste virgins to Jesus Christ a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ and so uh, the idea is I, I want to present you there one day we we are espoused to the Lord Jesus Christ we're the bride of Christ we haven't been through the marriage ceremony yet that day's coming but we're espoused to him and he says during this time of your espousal, then you need to be purifying. And, and certainly when you look at uh, a marriage ceremony, what they went through uh, in, in New Testament times, uh, that was the stages of a marriage. So there was this period of time that was an espousal, an engagement. And, and so oftentimes those things were arranged uh, before a person's birth. Uh, and they... Uh, the, the bond that was made there, your, your agreement to be engaged, to be espoused, was as strong as the agreement uh, that you had in the marriage itself. Uh, oftentimes the, the bridegroom would pay a dowry to uh, the bride's family to, to make this a binding agreement. And, and during that period of time, the, the bride purified herself. There was a process of purification. Uh, so there's, there's three phases to this, this wedding. So uh, during the engagement, it's, it's arranged, it's uh, there's a strong bond there, there's a dowry that's paid, and there's a purification process. And, and then comes the wedding where, where the bride has purified herself, and so the bridegroom comes to the house of the bride accompanied by his friends, and, and he gets the bride and he escorts her uh, back to the place that he's prepared for her. Uh, he's prepared a home for her. Uh, and then there would be the wedding feast. Well, obviously we see the similarities, I think, in that, in, in our relationship to Christ. We've been a spouse to him as Paul says he uses that word in 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 that we've been a spouse to him and so having been a spouse to him when we accepted Christ as our savior the provision for that was accomplished before our birth not that we were chosen before our birth but that God made provision for that the the main the means the method of salvation was happened before we were ever born, and there was a binding agreement, Ephesians 1 tells us, right, that we received that, that dowry, we received at our salvation, the moment that you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell us, and, and he tells us that that's the, the earnest, right, of our inheritance until the, the, the redemption of the purchased possession, so he's given us that guarantee, and what an awesome guarantee it is, right? <laughs> I mean, he gave us himself, uh, as a guarantee that he would come and, and redeem us. And praise the Lord for that. Uh, and then what happens in our lives is, is we purify ourselves. Uh, as we live this life, between the time when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior and, and the wedding day is a time of purification. And so we glorify God as we allow him to, to purify our lives. In fact, over and over again, uh, the New Testament teaches that as we look forward to that day, as we look forward to that wedding day, the time that, that we're going to be married to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
we, we are purifying ourselves. We're getting ready for it. First John 3 says, And every man, he, he's just described the, the Lord is coming. We're, we're the sons of God. It doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that we shall appear. We shall be like him. And then he says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So the hope of the wedding day is a motivation to purify ourselves. To, to prepare for that day. Peter says the same thing. Seeing all these, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 to 14, I won't read all of them, but he says, uh, he's talking about the fact that, the, that the, the Lord is coming, he's not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. He's long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He says, seeing that, we, that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness? We purify ourselves, right? Verse 14, he says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that, that uh, you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. You know, again, trying to take the teaching that we oftentimes, we, 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 t- we take the real and we, we teach the picture, reverse those two and look back and, and try to take the, the picture and, and look to the reality. Uh, again, I've, I've done a few weddings in my time. I'll do one this week. Man, you ever been about around a bride on her wedding week? And, you know, as the day is approaching, and she knows, man, this thing is this thing is imminent. It's it's about to happen. Uh, she gets very serious about getting everything prepared for that day. Uh, she she is very serious and very focused on that moment. When, when she, when those, you know, we've all been there, right? The coolest, the coolest seat in the house at a wedding is, is, the, is for the guy who's doing the preaching, right? Because uh, you get to stand there and, and you're looking, you get the same view that the groom gets. Uh, when those doors open up and there she is. Uh, and, and she is beautiful and, and perfectly arrayed and she's prepared herself for that day. And, and you know, you just kind of, in your peripheral, you see him. And that's, that's my favorite view, is to watch the groom and his response to that bride as she walks through that door. Uh, she, she is ready. She's prepared. We're the bride of Christ. We're the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and one day, and one day very soon, uh, we're going to be before him. We're, we're going to be the, the bride coming in to, to see the bridegroom. Uh, the doors are going to open, and there we're going to be, and we're going to be with him face to face. And, and, and the idea is, what do we do? What, what do we do as the, the bride? We prepare ourselves for that day. Uh, that's what we're doing now. We're purifying ourselves and, and preparing ourselves because there's coming a day when we'll stand before him. Revelation chapter 19 talks about that day and talks about how that, that on that day we'll be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. It matters how we live. Hey, would, you, would you anticipate that a bride would show up at her wedding day having done nothing with no preparation and uh, she would just walk in that day and, you know, well, you know, I didn't really think about today. I, uh, I didn't really put a lot of effort in, and, and, but here I am. I, I showed up. Surely I get some credit for that. Th- that would never happen, would it? But yet oftentimes as the bride of Christ... We kind of live like that. We kind of live like that. We kind of live like the prize is just getting there. And we don't prepare ourselves for that day. But as the bride of Christ, 
We need to be living in such a way that we, we have anticipation of the day that we're going to show up there. Revelation chapter 19, he talks about it's the, the righteousness of the saints. Certainly as a believer in Christ, I have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's, that's the undergarment. But, but what about the outer garment? <laughs> the outer garment is what we're preparing. That's, that's the righteousness of the saints. How we're living in this life, how between salvation and that moment did we live? We're the bride of Christ. Guys, how would you feel if you, if you prepared for the wedding? You, got, you know, you're, you're, you're there for your wedding day and, and they close those back doors. Uh, and then, you know, they, they, when, they, when they fling them open, she's kind of standing there. You know, in, in sweats and, you know, hair's a little jacked up, uh, didn't really have time to do the makeup today, you know, uh, she just came in, she's a little frazzled, uh, not exactly ready for the day. Wouldn't you just say, boy, I'm, I'm so honored. <laughs> you know, I, I just want you to know, baby, I'm glad you're here. Right, we, we think that's crazy. We'd never do that. Not in the picture, but what about in the reality? Would, would we show up like that? And, and how we live today is impacting how we show up on that day. We, we are the bride of Christ. You know, i got to believe there's a lot of things that, that matter to us right now that wouldn't matter to us. If we'd, if we'd get an idea, an idea of what our identity is, who we are, who we've been called to be, what really matters. Uh, we're, we're the bride of Christ, and, and so we, we worship Him, we, we magnify Him. Uh, we magnify Him by submitting to Him. Uh, we magnify Him by purifying ourselves. And, and there's one other the point that I want to make here, and it, and it comes from that Colossians text, but... I think it's important, and again, we could, we could list a lot of things, uh, but we exalt him by bearing fruit. Uh, we, and that, that might sound uh, a little out of order, right? <laughs> because we're just espoused, uh, right? We haven't come together physically uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet we're still to bear fruit. Uh, and so, uh, I think the Bible lays that out for us again. Paul uses that word, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. And don't, don't, don't miss that, that our God is a jealous God. Uh, he, he expects that exclusive relationship. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fearless by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if you, for he that cometh preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. We've, we've been espoused. That, that, that word espoused is a unique word. It's not an often used word in the scriptures. Uh, the, it's used more to refer to Mary uh, and, and her relationship to Joseph than in any other instance. Uh, and so what do we know about that story? Uh, we know that Mary was espoused to Joseph, uh, but yet 
though they hadn't come together physically, she was still with child. Uh, so she was going to bear fruit, although she hadn't known a man. Uh, although she and Joseph had never consummated the marriage, she's still bearing fruit. And, and it's interesting to me that Paul uses that same word about our relationship to Jesus Christ. We're espoused to Christ. And although we've never come together physically, we are still to bear fruit. And, and the way that Mary bore fruit, when, when the question came and, and the angel tells her, you know, you're, you're going to have a child, and she's very confused about that. How can this be so? I've never known a man. And, and, and again, for those who would discount that she, you know, well, really it just meant virgin just means young maid. Over and over again, the scriptures teach. No, she'd never been with a man. Uh, it very explicitly says that. Uh, and so what the, the angel says is the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee and the, also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And so she's espoused to a husband, uh, but she's going to bring forth fruit and the, the way she's going to bring forth th- fruit is through the Holy Spirit of God's power working in her life. All right, so we see how this is coming together, right? Uh, God... Uh, has espoused us to Jesus Christ. We've never come together with him, but we're to bear fruit anyway. How can we do that? How's that possible? Well, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit of God working in our lives, right? The, the way that we glorify God is by bearing fruit. John chapter 15, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. That, that's what we're to be about. That's how we're to be worshiping the Father. That's how we're to be glorifying him as the bride of Christ. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So we're, we're to bear fruit. We're to bring forth fruit through the power of the Holy Spirit of God and bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so how do, we, how do we glorify Him? How do we worship Him? How do we exalt Him? Well, live in submission to Him. He is the Lord. He, he is the bridegroom. He is our one husband, and we're to be in submission to his authority and his authority alone, not multiple authorities. Uh, we're, we're to purify ourselves, to live as if we're getting ready for a wedding day, uh, to, to live as if we're live, we, we have anticipation, expectation. There's a lot of, cr- lot of times we, we we live as practical atheists. We live like there's no eternity. We live like it's all about here and now. We, we live like this is all there is. We, we follow some popular national teachers that we have our best life now. Rather than realizing that there's an eternity that we're living for. We're not living for here and now. We're preparing for a wedding day. And, and as we prepare, we're to submit to the Holy Spirit of God's working in our life and, and bear fruit through Him, to allow Him to bear fruit through our lives. So, that's who we're called to be and, and what we're called to do, but then there's some things we're called to avoid. Uh, and so, there's, uh, just in a word, <laughs> I mentioned it a moment ago, uh, I think the thing that we're called to avoid is adultery. Uh, adulterate is, is the definition from an 18, 
28 Webster's Dictionary that's in your notes, the admixture of baser materials. Uh, we're not to be adding in things uh, to this relationship. It's an exclusive relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the generalist sense, then we, we avoid anything that's, that's causing us to step outside of that exclusive relationship that we have as the bride of Christ. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, strong words. Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Uh, he, he says when we, when we get outside of that exclusive relationship, even, even in a friendship, uh, Matthew chapter 5, you know, Jesus is given the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it hath been said unto you. Now, you don't commit adultery, but, but if you look on a woman to lust after her, that's adultery. And, and a lot of times I think we, we have this friendship with the world system uh, as the bride of Christ, and, and you can equate that to adultery. A lot of times we like the, the warning over and over again that's repeated in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. What did God tell them? Don't go down to Egypt for help. Don't go there. Don't put your trust there. Trust me. Rely upon me. Believe me. Trust me. I, I think that is at the heart of submission. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rely upon you, Lord. Uh, I count on you. I trust you. I believe that you are sufficient to meet my every need. So I put my trust in you. That, that's what he's saying to the nation of Israel. That's what he's saying to us today. When my wife looks outside of that relationship with me to have her needs met, then I'm disrespected. When we look outside of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to have our needs met, he's disrespected. And uh, again, there's, there's many of examples. I, I love one in Second Chronicles uh, where, where Asa uh, the, the Ethiopians are coming down against Judah, and there's a million uh, soldiers that are marching against King Asa and, and Judah. And, and what does he do? He cries out to God. Uh, and he, he, he just puts all of his trust in him. And he says, you know, Lord, with you, it, it, it's nothing. It's nothing to conquer with by, by many or by few. I trust you. Uh, and I can rely upon you, and, and you're going to provide for me. And, and, and that's exactly what God does. He he destroys them, uh, and he puts Asa back in power. But just a few years later in Asa's life, he forgets about that. And, and I think there's a pattern there. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, we can start out in ministry, and, and we rely upon the Lord, and we trust in the Lord, and, and we're walking with the Lord. Uh, but, but, but as we go down that continuum, sometimes we, we get what we might call some ecclesiastical pornography going on, right? You know, we start looking at things, we start seeing ministries that are successful, quote-unquote, and people who have things, and, and we want those things, and we want to be like them, and we want a bigger stage, and we want a nicer building, and we want larger offerings, and, and we want more prominence, and we want to be invited to different... And, and we begin to, to trust in the wrong things and look to the wrong things, and, and we step outside of that exclusive relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ with our one bridegroom, and we begin to, to look to other places for help. That's what Asa did. You know, he, he hires someone else to come in. He hires those uh, from, from Syria to come in and, and, and help him, and, and he ends up being defeated. He, he doesn't trust in the Lord. Uh, and, and I think a lot of times we do that. We go down to Egypt for help and uh, begin to look to the world system to supply 
uh, our lack or, or what we perceive to be our lack. Uh, and we begin to function by the values of the world system. Um, and that, that's a problem because our God's a jealous God, right? Uh, over and over again, we're, we're told throughout the Old Testament, we just read it in the New Testament, Paul uh, said, I'm, I'm jealous over you with a, a godly jealousy. Uh, God expects, you know, I, sometimes we look at that as a negative thing. My wife, there's a jealousy there. Uh, that's an exclusive relationship that we have with one another. God expects an exclusive relationship with us, uh, that we're not looking to others to fulfill those needs. And so uh, I, I think the, the general point is don't, we don't need to be living in adulterous relationships. Uh, we need to be trusting in him and, and relying upon him and have an exclusivity to that relationship that we have as the bride of Christ. Specifically, you know, I, I think there's an issue of authority within the, the local church. Christ is the bridegroom. Uh, again, we could go over it over uh, lots of references. I think I actually put them in your notes uh, for you this morning. There's several different places that we, we could go and talk about the fact that He's to have the preeminence. Not just, he's not just to be a priority. Uh, that, that's not the position that he's looking for in our lives. He's to be preeminent. And, and again, my life individually, certainly, but the church collectively, that Christ is preeminent, that he's first. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't take any other position, right? Uh, he won't accept any other position. He is preeminent in, in all things. And, and we're to have leaders, as we see in the book of Acts, as Paul and Barnabas go out in those missionary journeys. They, they put effort in every location to ordain elders. Where? In the local church. Right? Those leaders were, were right there in the local church. They're not looking to some authority outside of the local New Testament church. And when we do that, uh, then, then we're stepping out of that relationship. Uh, certainly, uh, all of us as leaders in local New Testament churches are going to give an account. I think Jeff mentioned it uh, yesterday or maybe last night that, yeah, absolutely, there's a greater accountability. If you're going to step up and you're going to teach uh, and you're going to lead, uh, God's going to hold us accountable. But uh, as, as a church, we're to submit to that authority that God's put within the local body. And so uh, there's, there's wrong authorities outside of uh, the local church that want to come in and dictate to the local church. I, I don't think most of us are dealing with that. Uh, we are recording this, but you know, in, in my own personal situation, where I'm at right now, uh, that, that's a possibility. Uh, and so I'm, I'm sensitive to that, that any outside authority would come into the local church and try to dictate what's going to happen within the local church. And sometimes that's obviously very uh, overt, uh, where they would tell the church, this is what you have to do, right? This is how you're going to function. Uh, this is who's going to be in a leadership role. Uh, we should recognize that all of that's unbiblical, right? That, that's unbiblical. That, that those authorities coming in from the outside uh, is unbiblical. We are uh, a local New Testament church. We're the bride of Christ. Uh, so that's uh, certainly unbiblical. But sometimes it's not so overt. Sometimes it's more covert, uh, sometimes it's less uh, obvious, you know, uh, where entities outside of the church want to dictate uh, things about the church and how the church uh, does its business. Like, uh, you know, what, what are the qualifications of a person who would be sent out as a missionary? Uh, sometimes outside entities want to come in and tell us 
how that is. Uh, that, that's the decision within the local church, right? I mean, we, we know Acts chapter 13, when Paul and Barnabas go, it's the church that decides. The, the church lays hands on them. The church sends them forth. And then the next verse says, being sent forth by the church, yes, but the Holy Spirit of God. God worked through the local New Testament church to send them out uh, rather than some outside authority and its, its dictates. Uh, and sometimes outside authorities uh, want to dictate how that, that uh, a missionary can derive support, uh, what, what mission field can they go to. Uh, there's all kinds of things that happen outside of the local church uh, that take that exclusive relationship that we have with Christ and who we are and, and our one authority and allowing him to work through God-ordained leaders uh, within the local church. So when we talk about what are we going to avoid, well, we, we need to avoid adultery, certainly, because we, we serve a jealous God. And, and, and gen- specifically, the way that happens oftentimes is, is there's wrong authorities outside of the church, uh, but there's, you know, sometimes there's wrong authority within inside the church, too. And I, that's, probably, that's probably more where we're at. Most of us don't have denominational leaders that are dictating to us uh, anything about how we do things. But, but I will say sometimes we do have people within the church that are dictating. Uh, and and that's, that's wrong. It's unbiblical. And, and so maybe this is a little more sensitive than... Uh, than, than we like. Third uh, John talks about, you know, John's writing and he, and he talks about uh, uh, di- fees. I can't even say it. Uh, don't you wish that people in the Bible had names like Joe? <laughs> uh, I, don't know what's, I don't know what was wrong with that. Why do they have these crazy names? But anyway, what the Bible tells us about this guy is that he loves the preeminence. Who, who, who did we just read from Colossians as to be preeminent in the church? But he loves the preeminence. What, who, whose role is he taking? He, he's taking the position of the bridegroom. He's taking the position of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you know, I experienced my dad. My dad used to say this. Uh, I think it's a good saying experience is a good teacher but it's an expensive teacher uh, and i've learned i've learned some things through experience and, and let me just let me just let you learn from my experience uh, especially if you're a pastor especially if you're a young pastor uh, those people who love the preeminence will destroy your church and 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 when we let it happen we're wrong and as tough as it is, <laughs> we got to stop it uh, and, and recognize it for what it is. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes, that's, sometimes that's a deacon board who, who isn't called to, to lead the church, said all the pastors. <laughs> I don't know if we've got any deacons in here or not, but I'm going to say it again just to give you a chance. Pastors are to lead the church, not the deacons. I got a couple more. Yeah, the church is to be led by pastors. Deacons are called to serve. Sometimes it's not even a, a deacon, though. It's just some prominent member. 
And, and, and you know, so I learned that it's better to deal with that early than to deal with it late. Because the longer you let it go, the more damage it's going to cause. And it is going to cause damage. There's no two ways around it. Uh, and so when you have those people in the church that are within the church, they're the wrong authority. It, it's, not just, it's not just that they're not submitting to the pastor. They're taking the position of Christ. They, they, they because, and, and listen, as pastors, I, maybe it's not hard for all of you, it's hard for me to stand and, and talk about things like this. I don't enjoy saying, no, no, I'm the guy who's in charge. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want that. And, and let me say today, if, if a pas- as a pastor you love that, well, that might be a problem. But let me quickly add, if you hate that, that might be a problem. I'm the guy who's on the hate side. I don't love it. I don't like it. I don't like to talk about it. I don't like to deal with it. I'd rather just not, you know, let's just go along to get along. But when you go along to get along, you do damage to the body of Christ. That's ultimately what happens. Uh, and, and so we can't allow that to happen uh, because it is, uh, it is destructive to the bride. And that's the, the last thing that I'll say this morning is that uh, we, I, I can come up with a better word. <laughs> so local church admiration. You know, we need to treat, treat the bride right. Treat the bride right. Um, that's true as church members and that's true as church leaders we, we do need to recognize that what we're dealing with here is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ that's the local church when, when we talk about the church we talk about the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ you know I I, again, I, I'm, I'm not a guy who likes confrontation. Uh, I'm not a fighter. But I'll tell you what I'll fight you over. I'll fight you over my bride. You mess with her, and it's, just gonna, it's not going to be good. And, and you know, I'm, if I feel that way about my bride, I've got to believe that Jesus feels that way about his bride. Because he's way better than me. And I, I think sometimes some of us, we're opposing Christ because we're, we're bad-mouthing his bride. We're, we're destructive toward his bride. We, we, uh, we do damage to the bride. And, and a lot of times we don't think, I, I, I'm guessing that people don't think about that. They don't think about what they're doing when, when they say and do things that hurt the bride. Uh, when, we, when we leave a church... And we don't leave it. I'm not saying you can't. I just left a church nine months ago. I changed churches. Now, I will tell you this. I've only changed churches in my Christian life. Well, I've been been a part of three churches. I'm 55 years old. I've been a part of three. The one I grew up in, Decatur Baptist Church and Oakland Heights Baptist Church. And I'm not saying if you've been part of more than that, 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 that's a bad thing. but, But there are times when God moves us. But, but a couple of things are important. We better make sure God's moving us. It's not a consumer mentality. It's not what, what, well, I like this, or I like that, or I don't like that, or I don't like that, or I don't like them, or he said something that offended me. That's not a good reason 
to change churches. That's not a good reason. I mean, my lands, how long would your marriage last if you treated it like that? Well, I'm not, I'm not leaving the, the bridegroom. Be careful about that. You better, you better know God's telling you to do that. And if God is telling you to do that, it's my conviction that there will be a peaceful, positive way to do that. Not a negative, destructive way to do that. And a lot of times that's how we leave churches. You know, when uh, God began to deal with me uh, about a year, uh, what is this? This is October, so a little over a year ago, uh, 18 months ago, about going back to Decatur to, to take the, the role of lead pastor there. I didn't, I didn't want to do that, uh, but I did want to do what God wanted me to do. But the hardest part about that decision was, what happens at Oakland Heights? And we had been through some difficult times, my fault, because I didn't deal with the guy who wanted the preeminence, <laughs> right? And I even complained to God, you know, here's my complaint to God, you know. Uh, God's beginning to move this thing, and I see it's, it's coming together, and I'm like, God, man, your timing just sucks. And God said, no, my timing's fine, Joe. I only had to do that because you wouldn't do what you ought to have done 13 years ago. If you'd done what you should have done, I wouldn't have had to have done what I did, but that's probably not even good English. But, but in that, my, my concern is, what's going to happen at Oakland Heights? God, what are you doing there? And, and leaving, this, this is your bride. I don't, I don't want to walk away and just say, you know what? I'm, I'm going on to my next assignment, and I'll just wipe my hands of that and uh, go do my own thing. Obviously, I know God can take care of his bride, but I don't want to be destructive to it. I want to leave it in a way that uh, is healthy and pleasing to him. And I think uh, I need to have that conviction. I think we all need to have that conviction. We need to treat the bride like the bride. Uh, we need to, to love her and care for her uh, and uh, make sure that we hold her in a, a very special place. So, we're the bride. Uh, I, I don't know if you've thought of that lately, uh, but I encourage you to, to, to begin to think that way. Think about who we are in Christ and who we've been called to be and what we're called to do in light of that and, and what we're called to avoid. Uh, there are a lot of things in the world today that that are not uh, conducive to, to being the bride. Uh, and, and I think it's important that we recognize that. Let me pray for us, and uh, we're going to take a break, and uh, then we'll, uh, we'll come back in just a few minutes and, and do session two. Father, we love you. Uh, we're grateful today for your love for us. We're grateful for this opportunity to, to be here together, to, to gather together, and uh, spend this time uh, talking about uh, our relationship with you. We thank you for first and foremost, for the relationship that you've afforded us, uh, that we have this very exclusive uh, relationship, unique relationship with you as your bride. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd help us to, uh, to honor you and worship you and submit to you, that our lives would exalt you, uh, that we would uh, live lives of purity, that would be pleasing to you, and uh, that we would, we would bear fruit. Uh, Father, there are so many things that, that, that tend to tempt us and draw us 
uh, away from that relationship. Uh, we ask that you'd help us to, uh, to not succumb to those temptations, uh, but to live in a way that would be honoring and pleasing to you. Thank you for our time. Uh, thank you for our fellowship. We pray you bless it in Christ's name. Amen. So I think we've got about uh, 10 minutes to, to get a break, get some coffee, uh, and we'll be back here in just a few minutes.